we are Christians who want to do the right thing. It's sort of a foregone conclusion. Like we are not going to do things that are shady or spammy or scam or clickbait. Like we don't go down that path because it's just not who we are. It's not who we want to be in the market or it's not our company. The people we have that work at Tithely love what they do. They love the fact that we're serving churches. Oftentimes they're volunteering in their own local church. So it's just kind of in the DNA to do the right thing. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means that we kind of default towards doing the right thing. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, and today on the podcast, we have one of the co-founders of Tithely, Frank Barry. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about early marketing strategies that helps Tithely get off the ground, Tithely being one of the uh, larger church and nonprofit domination management software companies. Um, we're going to talk about how Frank specifically stays connected to his customers, even though he's in a leadership position, COO of the company, but still taking time to connect with the people they're serving to stay in touch with their needs and the problems that they're facing. So that as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as someone who is removed from the sales process, the front-facing sales process, still having that connective tissue. He shares some of the things that he does to stay uh, connected in that way. And then also uh, some really creative ways that they were able to save money as they were growing the business, as they were growing the company. Uh, because with marketing, you can spend money on all kinds of stuff, but not everything works. And so you'll hear him share some some really unique things that they were able to do in order to to not just grow the company, but do it profitably. Now, make sure you stay tuned to the very end of the interview where I share my number one practical takeaway from my conversation with Frank. But without further ado, let's dive in. So tell me in five minutes or less, who is Tithely? Who do you serve? And what is it that you do? Amazing. Five minutes or less. I think I can go less. Yeah. Maybe 60 uh, seconds. Maybe I set the bar too tithely, high. Tithely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Tithely is a software company. Uh, we make software specifically for churches and ministries. Uh, we do have some other nonprofits and charities and whatnot that use us, but you know, real specifically focus on churches and ministries. Um, we serve churches and ministries all over the world. We have, you know, nearly 40,000 customers of all shapes and sizes, you know, from the startup church, you know, the brand new church that's got 10 people in a garage that's kind of has big dreams all the way up to the big mega church that's got 20,000 people meeting on a Sunday. Um, and specifically, we started out with uh, making a product that let you give to your church, right? Like make a, you know, churches for, I don't know, you know, your audience may or may not know, but in churches, usually every weekend there's like an offering moment. There's a time during the church service where people are going to give financially to support the work of the church and kind of do good in the community and all those kinds of things. And traditionally, you take the plate, you take a plate or a basket or something like that, you pass it around. And so... Um, we were like, you know what, that should be done on a mobile phone because things like Starbucks and Amazon and Uber and everything else exists. You should be able to give to your church, uh, on your mobile phone. So we started off with a real simple giving app. Um, and then we've added a bunch of features over the years. We do full like church CRM systems and websites and church apps and email and text communications. Um, really striving to be kind of the world leader in church software at price points that every church can afford with, with really good service. Like in the church, you want to deal with real humans. And so we try to have a real human touch to our business and kind of care for our customers uh, in ways that, that resonate with them. 
And so when did when was Tithely started? Like what was the year? Because that'll also help set some context for kind of what yeah. was that, what else was going on in the the world of tech at that time. Yeah, 2015 is when we kind of incorporated and officially like launched the the company publicly. Uh, there was a little bit of time before that um, where um, like Dean, our CEO, he's the one that had the idea. He's like, you should be able to give on your phone kind of like you buy us coffee at Starbucks. And his son, Barnes, an engineer. So Barn went off and kind of built it. And then we had just some kind of friends and pastor friend churches using it and whatnot. So that that was a little bit prior to 2015, but it was two, it was June of 15, June or July of 15, when we like finished incorporating the company and kind of publicly said, all right, let's go, let's get after this. Um, so mi- middle of 15 was the real launch date. And so what did those, what did that early beta feedback look like when you're, because I imagine you all are, you have different jobs, you're working at other companies, some are yeah. in ministry, some are working kind of in the secular world. Um, like what did those early years look like when you're shaping the product and, and, and trying to find like the, the product market fit that's going to help set you up for long-term success? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was four of us that, that got it going and, and we were all doing other things at the same time and trying to figure this out. Uh, I think one of the, the, the early, early days, uh, either Dean or myself, depending on kind of time of day and, and work schedules and all that kind of stuff would, would be on the phone with a new customer. So someone would find us online and we can get into that at some point, but we focused heavily on kind of an inbound, you know, find the solution, go to the website, sign up for the product, you know, don't talk to a person kind of approach. Um, but our, our, uh, I don't know if it was secret sauce or just kind of our, our approach was actually that we did want to talk to you. We wanted to make it easy for you to sign up and start using the software. But then simultaneously, we wanted to get you on at the time a Google hangout. And, you know, I wanted to, now we would spend time on the phone too, but preferably I could get you on video like this. This was pre-COVID, right? So this is before everybody was using Zoom. This was still, I wouldn't say early days of video conferencing, but it wasn't mainstream by any means. Um, But, you know, again, it goes back to our kind of real human approach, right? If I could get you on a Google Hangout and we could interact like this and you could see my face and you might see one of my kids running around, um, we could talk about, you know, our churches and ministry and it just added this human component that we enjoyed a lot. It was kind of part of our DNA. And I think that the early customers and even to this day also enjoy because you kind of get to put a face with the company and, and you don't just sign up online. So we made it really easy to come to us and sign up on the website and start using it to take donations, um, immediately so frictionless and easy sign up and all that were kind of part of our core DNA, but also just that human touch where we could talk to you and, and help you get to know whatever you needed to about the product and us as a company. So when you say that you were relying on inbound to really kind of put yourself out there and then start attracting prospects to become yep. people that you could serve, what were some of the things that you were doing? Was it blog? Was it SEO optimization? Was it, were you doing any paid traffic at the time? Like what were some of the things you were pulling at to get that first hundred, first thousand customers in the door? Cause that's always yeah. the hardest. You don't know what's going to work. You don't know, you know, Big Hey, time. we're going to throw this thing out there and may crash and burn, or it might be the thing that like takes off. So yep. what were some of the things that you were doing at the very beginning when you were first getting traction 
um, you know, to really start building momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one piece that might just be good context for, for people listening, right. Are the, the church in America alone is about 300 and some odd, right. 310, 315, 320,000 churches in the U S and then there's churches all over the world. So it's even far bigger than that, but that alone is a pretty big like marketplace. If you're thinking the business side of this, so there's a lot of them out there and they all need software, some, some form of software. And they're all taking donations, you know, at that, in, in 2015, they were all cash and check is the primary way that you would give to your church. So it was sort of built in, right? Pretty big market customer doing something in a little bit of an older way that was still existing in the church as it existed in other places, right? You used to, we probably all remember the day, or at least some folks will remember the day that you'd go to the grocery store and somebody in front of you would be paying with a check, right? It doesn't happen anymore, uh, or at least I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, people don't even go to the grocery store anymore. They just use Instacart and whatnot. But like, if you go to the grocery store, people aren't using checks anymore. They're using usually their debit card or something like that. So, you know, the the church was bound to go through that kind of digital transformation at some point and become more digitally savvy and using not just for giving, but for all kinds of things, CRM and member management and apps and better websites and using email and text communication and all these different things, accounting, online accounting software, like all this stuff was bound to happen. Um, so I'll just lay, that's just a little bit of like groundwork for, you know, we entered the market and we had, you know, early kind of friends, right? Like my church and other churches that I was associated with starting to use it, Dean's church, Barnes church, Steve's, like, like we just started getting friends to use it. So that was one way. There's a little bit of word of mouth built into that. Um, and then from a marketing perspective, beyond just the word of mouth, it was just all inbound. So I have a little bit of a marketing background and kind of was a believer in the whole like inbound marketing style. And so really, really from day one, we wrote, you know, it, if we could, it was at least one blog post a week. If I could crank out two or three, we would, right? And then we had our newsletter. So it was a blog post or two or three a week. And then it was a weekly newsletter. And then it was lots of guest posting, like finding, you know, building relationships with anybody that we could that was also writing content for the church or, you know, serving the church with a product or somehow, you know, doing something online for the church, like building tons of relationships with people, getting to know the other people in the industry, doing things to serve churches and, you know, just kind of helping each other. And so I would do tons of guest writing and trying to get backlinks and all the SEO magic that you can think of, right? Like I, it was a daily thing of just SEO, 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 SEO. Um, and writing content was kind of the pillar of that, you know, even to this day, we still write three days a week. We do a podcast. We, we do our best to kind of produce content that our audience uh, can really benefit from. And, and that just pays off with, you know, uh, like we get a lot of traffic to the website um, for all that. Yeah, well, and there's something that you said that that really just kind of st stuck with me, which is like thinking about how you observed other industries innovating in specific ways and then identified like an industry that was kind of lagging behind, but that would eventually catch on to that same trend. It's, it's like there's nothing new under the sun. Like even when I think about disruptive industries like like Airbnb, right, disrupted the hotel industry. Right, right. But you could really see it coming. 
like if you if you started to identify like oh uber people are starting to rent out their own cars and right well how long until that then trickles into the, all these other things which you know i imagine if you're in the vc world you hear we're the uber of x of something right? yes it's, it's like yes. we just happen to be in an industry that hasn't been disrupted yet um and so even just when you're at a product level identifying like okay how, how do we kind of ensure success as much as possible or how do we get as many chips on the table as we can is seeing that same change happen in other places and spotting the similarities and the trends and then applying them in the industry that you're trying to change as well were were you doing that were you like looking at seeing like okay starbucks is doing this is there a piece of that that would work for churches or you know like at that that was the original yeah I, i mean i think i don't we were not sitting around looking for the next thing do you know what i'm saying like like i think it was definitely um you know the the app store was out apps were starting to become a thing you know starbucks had it where you could put your credit card in and buy the coffee and it was easy right so it was almost like it had happened and it sparked an idea it just so happens that simultaneously like the whole church industry, um, which isn't necessarily how we talk about it, but for sake of this conversation, right? Like the industry was behind, right? And so like the idea and the fact that the market like needed the idea were were kind of like, not necessarily, like, like, you know, Dean was a pastor for a long time and I went to church for a long time, but like, so we all gave with checks, and Dean was a pastor, so he actually led the church and sort of had, you know, behind the scenes insight into giving and the trends and how it worked and what would happen in the summers and what would happen when there was a rainstorm or an ice storm in Atlanta or what would happen when, you know, it was Christmas and people were on vacation or traveling. Like, so you see what happens to giving and then you're like, oh, but if you can do it right on your phone, you can kind of give anywhere, anytime. You don't have to be in church necessarily or your local church. You don't you don't have to remember your checkbook when, you know, when you're scrambling to get the kids out of the house and get to church, you don't have to remember that because you're not forgetting your phone. So yeah, I don't, I don't think we were, nobody was sitting around. I think, you know, it was technology evolving, you know, an app, another app sparking the idea. And then just knowing it makes sense at that point, it's like, well, yeah, people pass the plate. Eventually the plate's going to go away. You know, it's not, it's still not gone. We've gone through COVID now at this point, and the plate is still there. People are still giving with cash and check. It's a smaller percentage, but it's still a big number. And, you know, it, it, but eventually it'll go away. Right. So like spotting that trend being really, really early. Um, and then just being like, we're almost eight years or seven, you know, a little over seven years into this. Like that's, that's a good chunk of time, seven years doing one thing. And we got plenty of room to keep keep going, you know? So it's kind of longevity and persistence and staying with it, you know, not, not giving up through the whole thing. For sure. Well, and I'm curious, making the pivot from early stage startup, new company, getting traction to then scaling the company, both internally with your team, the number of customers that you can serve, and then like the marketing levers that open up to you once you start getting more revenue coming in. When did you start adding to that SEO kind of inbound focus, which still is at the core of what you what you do, right? Yeah. Um, 
but start getting into Google ads and Facebook ads and, and sponsoring we, conferences and yep. things like that. Like, like how did all of those things evolve from the growth that you're experiencing and what you were trying to trying to do moving forward? Yeah. And we actually, um, we started running Google ads actually really early. We didn't have a lot of money. Sure. <laughs> we couldn't spend a ton, but we did start doing that because that, that was also a little part of my just digital marketing background. So we definitely started doing that in the early days. And that's just like grown over time as you sort of understand your key metrics better and you know how much you can spend to acquire, you know, early days, you don't really know any of that. Right. And you're just kind of, you're sort of like just praying for new customers any way you can get them mm -hmm. and you're doing whatever you can and you're trying everything you can. And so we actually would go to some events. We, again, we didn't have a lot of money, so it wasn't like we were paying a lot. And I remember I'd show up at an event, Dean for, would do the same thing. And we'd have like one of those like pop-up tables that they give you with, with like no tablecloth, like one little like stand up on the table, like pop-up banner yep. and like our laptop. Mm -hmm. Like it was that sad. Right. <laughs> and, and we would just do our thing. And nowadays we have a great booth and we look somewhat professional at a conference and we pay for bigger sponsorship opportunities, you know, where it makes sense. Um, but I think we, early days we were really scrappy in the sense of, yeah, we wanted to get to some conferences, but how could I get there and not pay to be the biggest sponsor? Could I do a session? Could I do, do a dinner? Could I, get coffee could like what could i do that helped save money but still kind of got me around things and 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 how could i build relationships with the people doing the conference you know that were not just about the conference but maybe you're part of a network of churches maybe there's other things we can do that serves you guys well so it makes sense to have us at your conference where we're not paying to be there and you know so we just we spent a lot of time building relationships and connecting with people and figuring out how to get around in the industry and how, you know, like how, where, where, where should we spend our time? How can I do something uh, on a budget and, and make it work? So we spent, you know, we did a lot of that early on Dean and I, um, and as we hired people, they had the same kind of DNA and um, you know, nowadays we, we, we generate more revenue so we can spend a bit more on marketing. We actually have a marketing team of handful of people, six or seven people over there doing things. And uh, it's still a fairly small team, but we have a team and they can, they can do more now because there's more of them doing it, you know? So um, yeah, I'm not sure if that even answers your questions, but small and scrappy, we spent some money on stuff, not as much as we spent today. Um, but I think it was good for us because we learned how to acquire customers. Like we learned how to, we serve really small. Again, I don't know the audience particularly well, but if you're if you're in the business side, marketing side, like we're like an SMB inbound company, right? So we're like vertical software with payments. We serve like the SMB, the small to midsize market really well. And uh, you know, you got to get good at at acquisition and good at um retention and all those kind of things in order for the business to work. Cause, cause people don't pay us a lot of money. It's, it's like volume and scale that make the business successful. So we had to learn how to do a lot of that early on and look, some of it is whatever you want to call it luck or, you know, God was with us right along the journey. We didn't know everything. We didn't, we didn't go into it with a formula. Like we just did some things well. And I think we cared about our customers a lot. And I think that paid off. 
talk to me a little bit about, about retention because I think that that can often get lost in the the world of marketing where everything is about growth, top end growth yeah. and revenue growth and you know, my favorite are the businesses that are like, hey, we hit seven figures, annual revenue, woohoo. And their burn rate's like 1.2. And uh, they're two right. months away from running out of cash, you know? So, right. you know, the, the numbers that we can celebrate don't always paint the whole picture. Um, but, but what were the things that you did beyond just caring about your customers to, to really try and help with retention, whether that's yeah. support or being really responsive on the product side? Like, like, what are some of the things that you really focused in on and said, wow, this these are the make or break things for us in driving retention and really increasing that, that LTV to allow yeah. you to spend more to acquire new customers. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, there's, I mean, I think the customer care part goes a long way. Um, and I'll maybe two parts of how that played out is we really tried to onboard you well. Right. And, knowing a lot more today than we did then, like really we just wanted to help. We wanted to get you on that Google hangout call. We wanted it, you know, beyond the, maybe the sales moment, we wanted to do the training. Let's answer your questions. Let me walk you through the tool. Our original product didn't take you long to get used to, but if I could spend 15 minutes with you and get you really ramped up and know, you know, having all your questions answered and knowing how to use the tool, so the, that the kind of early training and then helping you launch to your church, like giving you resources, we would make graphics and videos and email messages and content that would help you go communicate it to your church. We would prepackage it all and give it to you so that we could make it easier for you to go launch this new product into your church. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And some of it was terrible, but, you know, we were, you know, like we were getting you resources to try to help it make it easier for you to launch into your church now that you have this new product. So we wanted to onboard, train you well, give you resources. And then we just put a lot into support. You know, we wanted support to, you know, like we've sort of prided ourselves on having like phone support. Like you can talk to a human, you know, like it's a lost a art form of, nowadays. Yeah. A lot of tech companies talking to a human. Now we've had to evolve how we do that over time. Cause it does, it costs a lot of money to hire and keep people answering phones and all that kind of stuff. So we, we still have that capability and we've had to evolve how we do it. But I think caring for our customers and that, okay, let me help train you. Let me help onboard you. Let me give you resources. Let me, let me let you know, you can call me to get help. Like all that kind of stuff massively helps with retention, you know, and maybe isn't all isn't super scalable, but some of it is like, if I can provide great, if I can do training better with some pre-done videos now, and if I can give you these resources and make it like happen, like make it, get it to you easily from the beginning. And so, you know, you have access to those and I can kind of automate a bunch of things that maybe we were doing manually before, uh, getting on the phone with somebody. Well, I can have you schedule a call versus just pick, calling straight in. Like I can have, you know, I can schedule it and make sure I have people staffed at the certain times where I have more of my call. Like I can do a lot of stuff to scale, but still have that kind of, you know, built in like customer centric customer care kind of approach to it. Yeah. And I think a mistake that I see a lot of entrepreneurs make and business owners make, especially if they are more of the kind of visionary mindset of like, we're going to go take that mountain over there is running everything through the filter of does it scale? And if the answer is no, immediately rejecting it. Like, well, that's not an that's not an idea that will serve us in three years, so why are we doing it now? 
Um, but I think that's where the differentiation. We didn't happens. even think three years ahead, yeah. so we didn't run into that problem. <laughs> well, a three-year business plan now is like, okay, well, how many crazy things can happen in the next three years? Have another global pandemic, right. you know, you know, a couple of world wars. Like, who knows what's going to happen? Um, right. Yeah. Three years is an eternity. Um, but, but I think I, I'm certain that that was a key to you being able to grow tightly to what it is now is is having those unscalable moments. Where it's like, yeah. we're, we are going to maintain a human connection and interaction with our customers, period. And that's just the part of the DNA of the company, no matter how big you get or no matter how big the team is. And then finding creative ways to to leverage that time better without replacing it with, well, we're just going to outsource this to a call center or we're going to replace it with an FAQ page like so, so yeah, and don't get me wrong. We have lots of FAQ pages now, right? And we try to use those, but do you know, Lane, that's part of growing up. Yeah. But it, it, you know, to your point, those didn't replace and get rid of the human touch. They just hopefully make it better. Like sometimes people want to self serve. They don't want to talk to a human. They, they really, they want to read it and they want to keep it for later. And they'd rather a video where they can take their own time and watch through it. So people kind of like you just get all kinds of people and you just support them in the ways that make sense for them. Um, but some people still want to get on the phone or get on a zoom and show them, you know, uh, we grew out of Google Hangouts. I'll, I'll say that much or what, I don't know if it's called Google Hangouts. Anymore, I think it's Google meet now. If it still exists, Google meet. Yeah. yeah. We, we out outgrew those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the funny thing being probably somebody will probably say like, Hey, let's hop on zoom. Yeah. Here's my Google meet link. Right. right? It's become <laughs> the new, the new verb. Yeah. So, absolutely. cause it used to be Skype. Remember it used to be like, Oh right. yeah, let's Skype and now nope nope we're gonna we're gonna zoom I it i remember those days anytime someone tries to use skype it, it's been a long time but i remember like i don't even know my password and i can't get in anymore <laughs> like i don't even know how to do this meeting. <laughs> uh yes good times good times uh so i want to pivot a little bit to the the specific market that you are reaching churches christians and how that can play well and butt against marketing best practices, right? Because the internet is full of things that work. Clickbait works, but having a certain ethical standard or a certain level of integrity with what strategies you choose to pursue and how you choose to implement them matters. And I imagine more so when, you know, the people that work at your company are Christians, serving Christians, there's there's more in the relationship than just a transactional i make a widget you buy it right so so talk to me about like what those conversations and discussions look like when you're considering new marketing strategies or how you're going to implement something to make sure it's consistent with with that ethic um and and how marketing is perceived just in the christian world in general which in my experience has been Meet it with lots and lots of skepticism. Yeah. <laughs> That's the default. Right, right, right. Yeah, I. you know, it's a good question. I, I've never really thought about it. I, I think some of that is just solved by the fact that we are Christians who want to do the right thing. Just automatic. Like, it's, it's sort of a foregone conclusion. Like, we are not going to do things that are shady or spammy or scam or clickbait. Like, it's just not it's, – it's not – who we are like so it doesn't even really cross our minds to do stuff like that you know what i'm saying so like i can't think of a of a moment where we were like oh let's try this 
crazy marketing thing that seems a little sketchy, but it really works. You know, like it just, I, I don't know if this is a good answer, right? But I guess a lot of it is like we don't go down that path because it's just not who we are. It's not who we want to be in the market or it's not it's not our company. The people we have that work at Tithely love what they do. They love the fact that we're serving churches. Oftentimes, they're volunteering in their own local church. And so it's just kind of in the DNA to, to do the right thing. It doesn't mean we're perfect, you know, so I, I don't want to come across that way. It just means that we kind of default towards doing the right thing and as best we can, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have much beyond that, you know, we just don't want to do spammy things. Even, even to the point like buying lists, right? Like, like buying an email list where you buy it from some other thing and you're going to send emails. Like that's a thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure we've never done that because it just feels icky. Like they didn't give you your email, like to do anything with it. Now we've partnered with, you know, a, a Christian publication to say, hey, let's run some ads on your website or to your email list to promote this tithely thing where you're sort of paying for that marketing channel. And, but you know, that's kind of normal marketing. Like you, you have an ad program. We're going to use your ad program to send people some info about what tithely is or an event we're doing or a new product we're launching. So we'll do that often. We'll go to conferences and give away something like, hey, you know, win an iPad, um, you know, book a demo to learn more about Tithely and you're entered to win an iPad. So we'll do stuff like that at conferences. Um, but, you know, ho hopefully none of that is shady or, you know, sketchy <laughs> to people. <laughs> um, but I do think church, like at the church level, marketing has a weird connotation because I think a lot of churches or pastors, you know, don't think you need to market Jesus kind of thing or market the church. And, you know, I, I get where they're coming from. I, like, I get what they're saying and I, I agree. Um, I think, uh, but maybe we just mean it differently. You know, like I think a church does need to get exposure in the community and, you know, ha have a reason for existing and people should know why you're there and what you do and how you serve and who you are. And, you know, like that's all marketing. That's all getting your, your name out, not your name. Cause you're, you want to sort of be, uh, promoting Jesus, not yourself, but, I think, I, I don't know. I think it's just not understanding marketing a little bit or getting caught up on some of the things that feel icky about marketing versus going, no, I'm, I'm just trying to get my church known for good reasons in the community so that people know we're here and know they can, they can come because we love everybody. That's exactly what I expected you to say, uh, <laughs> to be totally honest, just on our relationship and, and knowing each other and working professionally together in the past. Uh, but it's not something to be taken for granted. Like it's very easy when you're looking at data or looking at like conversion rates on a landing page or how is this performing versus this and, and over time iterating your way away from your core values, just like one small step at a time until you're like, well, we finally made this profitable, made some questionable choices along the way in order to justify X, Y, and Z. Um, and so it's, it's great that you've been able to maintain that core identity and still, experience growth maybe not the kind of meteoric growth that would have been possible with some of those strategies but but really yeah, right. building a company you're proud of yeah yeah absolutely and who knows in our world doing some of those shady things might have killed the growth right you just don't know right i mean we tend to think that people in the church want to deal with you know people that are doing the right things and have you know like i feel confident about tidely's reputation um not, again not that we're perfect but that we 
have a, a set of core values that are meaningful. And we try to hire people that um, share those and we try to treat our customers, you know, really, really well based on that, you know, so we just try to do the right thing um, and not, not shady things. It's funny how that becomes a marketing strategy. Just be a good human. Yeah. You know? Be a good human. Just, just, just be a good human. It's, fu- it's funny how that could be a good out. marketing book. That could be a good like title for a marketing book. That, be a good that was almost the name of the, the podcast. It was going to be a riff on that. Uh, before that, honest dude. marketing, it was going to be, uh, marketing for humans. And so kind of like putting the human element back in performance marketing, but honest, yeah. honest kind of does that too. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, dude. Love it. So I would love to kind of fast forward a little bit to the current present time frame. Because now, you know, we're seven years removed from when you started. There are other companies doing digital giving. It's not uh, a rare thing now. Most churches post-COVID have some sort of digital giving set up. And it's it's become, I don't want to call it a cottage industry, but there is an industry that has been born out of a need to go digital for the churches, for churches and Christians in general. So how do you continue to to work on and refine the things that are working right now while also looking forward towards the shifts that are going to happen in the future because it is yeah. easy like once you discover something that works you're like okay well this is it this is our gravy train we're just going to ride this forever 50 yeah. years from now it's still going to be working we're still going to be writing blog posts and trying to get organic seo on google uh yeah. you know but likely that's not the case if we just look right. at like history right. yeah, and how you don't things know. evolve you don't know what's going to happen so what is, how do you, how do you balance that of like continuing to do the things that work and using that to kind of plan for the future and being able to, you know, pay your team and afford yeah. investments and things like that. And then how do you also innovate forward? Um, and, and how do you strike that balance? So you don't lose what yeah. you have, but also don't put yourself in a vulnerable position in the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on, on the one hand, I think we'll keep doing the things that are working as long as they work. You know, and I, I don't think, I don't think Google's going away. I don't think Facebook's going away. I don't think Bing's going away. I don't, you know, I, I like things may evolve and look different, but I don't think they're going away. I don't know that search is going away. Right. Like, so I think it will evolve for sure. Like things will look different in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. Like who knows? They might look different in two years, but so we'll keep doing those things and we'll keep hopefully staying uh, we'll, we'll keep good marketers around that are paying attention to kind of what's what's working and how it's working and how to how to reach our audience, um, you know, successfully wherever they may they may be. Um, one thing that you know I I don't think goes away is like reputation and brand and uh, like word of mouth, you know, and we're of a size at this point that keeping a great reputation, keeping a great brand, treating people well, doing the right thing, like serving our customers with excellence. You know, again, I, I say all this going, I don't think we're perfect, but I think these are things that we strive to do always. I think, you know, like customers are still going to tell their friends, you know, no matter what, like churches are very connected. Pastors are very connected. Um, so I think if we keep doing that, that word of mouth, scales tremendously. Um, and I think, you know, you can't be a one trick pony either. Like we started out in giving 
if we just did giving today, you know, maybe we don't exist or maybe we're not who we are. Right. So I think you got to keep adding most software companies are going to go from the thing that they started with and they're going to expand, right? Look at, I, I don't know, look at Microsoft, look at Google, look at modern ones like Stripe or Intercom or like p- pick a, you know, really Atlassian base camp, like pick somebody and you're going to see they do, you know, a lot more than what they did when they started. Um, because you keep serving your industry, you keep serving your clients and figuring out, okay, well, I'm, I'm a provider that wants to serve my customer with great software at an affordable price and do great business with them. Well, what's next? What do they need now that I don't do today? And am I the right one to go build it or partner with somebody else or acquire something to offer it to them and put it together in a way that makes it better for them than it was without it. Right? Like, so I don't know. Churches still use sticky notes for things. Churches still use spreadsheets for things. Churches still run their membership on, you know, outlook like like you know there's still all kinds of opportunities that you just have to keep paying attention to your customer and paying attention to what they're doing and where they could be served with better software or where they're experiencing some kind of pain where it's just not enjoyable to do this particular thing or there's not good software for something you know that already exists so you're just always paying attention always like i love talking to customers right like and and hopefully our team loves our company loves talking to customers. So we're just always talking to customers and watching what they're doing and listening to what they're saying. And and hopefully that, that information keeps fueling us, right? What's the next thing we need to go do to go build or to go buy or to go partner with in order to kind of provide an even better uh, suite of software, you know, cause if you want to be the world's leading software provider for churches, you got to keep going, you know, like, <laughs> There's a lot of software. They do a lot of things. Um, so we could be building for years before we get to the end of that. Indeed. Well, I'll leave a link to Tithely in the show notes. So if you're a church or if you're a pastor and you're looking for a donation software, uh, full church CRM, all of that, definitely go check out Tithely. But I want to give you a special plug or an opportunity to plug Modern Church Leader. Oh, which, yeah. Which is the show that you host. Come on. And, uh, and, and talk to one, like how that show came about as a piece of content marketing for Tithely, but then also like, like how it has served you as someone in a leadership role of the company and, and building relationships, building connections, uh, learning, like how has modern church leader as a show also helped you stay connected with, you know, the customers you're trying to serve. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Modern church leader podcast. Tithely puts it on. I happen to host it. Um, modern church leader. It was born before COVID and we were, I think playing around with interviewing folks, but I would say that really when COVID hit, like COVID was crazy for everybody on the planet Um, in the, in the church space, particular, the, the folks that we serve, every church was closed down. Like they, in church is a human experience. It's like you meet together in the building or in the park or in the garage or in the house, like you, you meet together with people and then churches were shut down. So, I was like, man, what are pastors going through? And so that was like the kind of catalyst for modern church leader and to like really go. And so really at the, at the beginning, I was like Facebook live, book a guest. And I would go live with somebody for half an hour, 40 minutes every single week for like, it must've gone on for over a year of just 
There was no format. There was nothing. It was literally just interviewing a pastor of of any kind of church, small church, big church, whatever. It, like all types of all shapes and sizes. Going like, what's going on? How you doing? What are you? How are you pulling this church online thing off? What are you using for technology? How are your people? How are you staying engaged? How are you ministering to people? How are you know like? What is it like for you and your part of the church? Um, and just trying to share, right? And then have other pastors who are also going through that kind of see other guys talking about what they're going through. You know, just be like a, this kind of sharing resource that hopefully somebody would have an idea that somebody else saw and they'd be like, oh, I'm going to try that, you know, and like kind of spark ideas. Um, so that's where it got kicked back up. And, uh, you know, I, I, just, I like talking to pastors and church leaders. I think that's another part of it, right? It's a great way to stay connected to our customers, to learn what they're thinking about, what keeps them up at night, what what they're wrestling with, what they love. Like, you know, just really understand our customer. So I enjoy, I just enjoy talking to pastors and church leaders about what they're doing. And I've got to interview some, you know, super high profile folks. And I've got to interview a ton of, you know, pastors of the 50 member church on the corner of the small town doing church online from their iPhone, right? Like all kinds of cool stuff. Um, so it's a great show. It's a, if you're a pastor or a church leader, go check it out. You can just go to YouTube, modern church leader, you'll find it. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's hundreds of episodes by now. I would say so. Well, we've done our best, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Awesome. <laughs> and you were a huge help in this latest iteration of kind of upgrading the whole experience. So, um, if you need podcast help, Travis is your guy. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate the vote of confidence. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Well, Frank, definitely appreciate your time. Thanks for com coming on and, and sharing all the things you shared. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much. Hey, appreciate it, man. Good to be here. So my number one takeaway from that conversation you just heard from Frank is do the things that don't scale. As entrepreneurs, as marketers, as business owners, it's easy to gravitate towards only considering the strategies that can scale beyond a one-to-one -one human interaction. But it's often those human interactions that can set your company, your business, apart from the others in your space, that you actually have somebody who will answer a phone call, that you have people on your team that will hop on Zoom calls, hop on Google uh, Meet and Hangouts and, and actually connect with people on a human level, answering their, their questions and, and really helping them with your product and your service and really getting to know them. Do the things that don't scale because at the end of the day, growth is only one side of the coin. Retention is the other. And it's often with retention that we can overlook that, that we can downplay its significance because you can always outgrow it. If you lose one customer, let's just go find two more. But if you can do those things that don't scale and really connect with your, your customers, the people you're trying to serve with your company at a human level, that makes a big difference in the profitability and longevity of your business. Now, if you have not yet, make sure you subscribe to Honest Marketing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if these episodes have been really helpful for you, it would be really great and helpful for me if you would consider leaving a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify to let other people know that this is a show worth listening to. And also, I love hearing from you and hearing your feedback and interaction. And so it'd be really fun to read those as well. Thanks for listening to the show. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be able to, to serve you in this way. And as always, be honest. Be honest.